All right, I am Haggai Davis III, along with Haggai Davis II, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Our show is a conversation about the past, present, and future of all things technology that we like to keep topical, interesting, and digestible. We want to thank our sponsor, Cardinal Capital, for making this possible. Cardinal Capital connects businesses to capital. It doesn't matter what business that you are in, Cardinal Capital has the resources all across the United States that are willing to help fund organizations of all sizes, life cycles, categories, and locations. Cardinal Capital works with you to craft the best commercial finance package for you to achieve your business goals. Whether you're looking to refinance current debt because of the new government programs and favorable interest rates, or finance new equipment, or maybe you're trying to acquire another business entirely, Cardinal Capital has the resources to make it happen. When lenders cannot do a loan, they seek out Cardinal Capital to help. The Cardinal Capital guys are easy to work with and fun to be around. Contact them today at 225-308-3700 or send them an email at info at cardinalcap.net and they'll be happy to help you with your commercial finance needs. So each week we take a listener question about a topic that the listener was interested in because they went to our website, techgumbo.net, to the question of the week tab and they submitted a question because they really want one of those Tech Gumbo mugs that we love to send out to the users who send us questions that we use. This week's question was fascinating. The question is, I heard that seven people can turn off the world's internet. Is that true? And if so, how is that possible? So the short and simple answer is no. <laughs> that, is, that is not how the internet works. There, there are not seven people out there who are mythic gate holders who you know through their will alone all the channels stay open however there is some modicum of truth to the story in that there there's a company called the internet corporation of assigned names and numbers or ICANN, and ICANN is who is in control of the domain name system now the domain name system is what allows google.com to actually be 8.8.8.8. So if you go to your browser and you type in 8.8.8.8, it's going to go to google.com. DNS translate that numbered sequence into the lettering of google.com because it was much easier to try and remember names instead of numbers. The DNS is very much like the map of the internet. Each one of those numbers means something. Each one of those numbers helps you find your way across the World Wide Web whenever you're the computer looking for where to go. So this DNS is a very important structure that helps navigation. Now, if there is a problem with the DNS, if there is a direct denial of service attack on DNS, if there is a large region of the world or that has a DNS failure, these people can have what's called the key ceremony. There are seven people who actually have a physical key, whether it be a metal key or a plastic card, that then they get into a a virtual meeting and they all enter in their key and that resets the DNS. The problem with the story is there is some level of truth, but because this is all about protecting DNS, no, these seven people cannot turn off the internet. They cannot do anything other than help 
reset the DNS. And each each one is responsible for a different portion of it. This is it's much more distributed. There's no one central location. This is it's much more it's it's less exciting, less Hollywood than the original question was asked. But you can see how through a game of a telephone, someone might hear that and end up at that place, but it's much less interesting, unfortunately. Yes, there are 14 trusted community representatives, and there are seven recovery key shareholders that are spread around the world so that nobody can have any kind of way to go in and attack the whole DNS and bring the internet down. It's just not the way the internet works. Moving on to the big story of the week. And it, we've avoided it for a while, but it's time to get back in. It is the train wreck that is Twitter. Yeah, this is just, we talked about it whenever, you know, back in November, but then, then we had talked about ChatGPT for a long time. And then, then we kind of took a break for both. And now we have to come back and just check back in on Twitter. And yep, it's still a dumpster fire. So it's been a little more than six months since Elon Musk bought Twitter, and it's been quite a chaotic six months. He has he started off with approximately 7,500 employees on that day in October when he bought the company, and he is very proud of the fact that he has laid off more than 6,000 people. Yes, Twitter is roughly at 1,300 employees which is about 550 engineers. And that is just an incredible cleavage, an incredible shrinking, an incredible dismemberment of a large company. And what's really shocking is that Mr. Musk continues to talk about how he's going to add all these new services, add all these great features inside of Twitter, but he barely has enough people on staff just to keep the fledgling platform still alive. How he thinks he's going to add all this stuff without adding more engineers, more programmers, more network people to keep the the hardware together, I, I don't get it. Oh, I, I agree. There, You could tell me that maybe Twitter had 10% too many employees. Okay, maybe, maybe you could say 20% too many employees. You'd really have to make the argument. But to say that Twitter has shrank down to one-sixth, that it had 86% too many employees, there's no way. No company, no matter who you are, no matter what your structure is, no matter what your industry or organization is, can lose five out of every six employees and still continue to function. That's just not how that works. Especially when you're a global corporation. You've got offices around the world. You've got staff that has to keep this going in every language around the world. And you've only got 550 people who are doing all of There's 550 languages. I mean, it's, it's very clear that they're dropping the ball in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. And I think it will only become more clear later on what the negative impacts and the harms and the repercussions of all these things are. One of the big things that Twitter has done is the blue check mark that everyone so coveted that now 
you can't pay people to take them to keep their blue check marks. Yes, this is just such a whole very dumb arc in that there was a certain segment of Twitter which was resentful of the blue check mark. They thought that it in some way represented elitism or that it was snobbery and so that they wanted to make the blue check more egalitarian. But they missed the whole point in that it was a system designed for authentication and that whenever you had people who had were semi-famous in some way or famous and you needed to verify they are who they say they were so that you didn't have an account that said, Eli Lilly, we're going to make all insulin free and then tank their stock price by 10% overnight. That's not what Twitter wants. It wants the users to be sure that who they're seeing is who they think they're seeing. And that was the whole purpose of this. And so instead, they offered a paid subscription, and now people could pay $8 per month to get that blue check mark. And it already was losing the value in that way. And now, once you purged all the original blue check marks, the only people who have them now are people who are paying $8 a month. And this has become a weird new subculture that's just very strange to explain and when you have celebrities when you have influential people people who eight dollars a month doesn't even amount to anything to these people when you have multi-millionaires billionaires who wouldn't know what eight dollars a month looked like saying i'm not paying for that that's a problem oh absolutely one of the people was lebron james LeBron James is one of the most famous human beings on the planet. He tweets a lot. He generates a lot of free content for your website. And you are sitting there making him mad. And so Musk even said, oh, well, actually, he still has a blue check mark for a couple of days because I'm paying for it for him. And LeBron literally came out and said, I'm not paying for that. Someone else put that there. Please take it down. And Whenever you have people publicly saying, I won't give you this money, that's how much this is worth for me to not have, you've truly done something ridiculous. The the whole idea that people were going to pay a lot of money for different things, like the way that Twitter was going to charge the for API fees for security alerts or real-time alerts. They were going to charge the National Weather Service $42,000 a month for them to put out storm warnings. They were going to charge New York City's transit system, the MTA, $50,000 a month to put out subway warnings. And if you know anything about any government agency, it's that they are cash-strapped and that none of them have half a million dollars just lying around to give to Twitter. And that just gets the idea, though, that they were generating a value for the user and that Twitter was capturing that value in the ads they could sell so that the user would see them. That's why people went to Twitter was so that they would have access to these storm warnings. They have access to these subway notifications, all these different services that could provide something for free, Twitter was still making money off of it on the ads. And so the fact that Musk said, we're going to you know, charge people, some companies were up to 200 grand a month 
to have the API access really just shows that he didn't understand what his platform was. And still doesn't. When you start attacking things like NPR and calling them a government-funded media, when such a small, small portion of the money that NPR actually receives comes from the government, well, you just, you're, you're trying to put politics into something where politics didn't belong. NPR, 1% of their funding was from the federal government. And so that's just not enough to really matter. If you were going to label them left-leaning, okay, that's a different story. But NPR received very little traffic from Twitter. It was not a big deal for them to say, you know what, we're done, we're pulling the plug. But NPR drove a lot of traffic to Twitter. And a lot of these news organizations, the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, all of these people had their writers on there. They posted stories there. They were generating free content for Twitter. And you're just sitting there kicking them all in the shins. And they're saying, well, fine, we're going to leave. And of and, course they are, because you're just making them mad. And then PBS joined right in behind NPR. They've pulled their stuff off of Twitter. They're not using that service anymore because they were trying to accuse PBS of being a government-funded media. But again, PBS only gets 15% of its revenue from the government. That doesn't sound like you're a, you're a government entity. That means you're just getting some grants from the federal government. But that's a big difference between being a government-funded media outlet. And, and so if you're just going to go around attacking people who were using your service the way the service was intended to be used, you're kicking people off of your platform by your actions. So again, do you understand what Twitter is and what its role in the world was all about? I think it's... it's it's becoming more and more clear that Musk's vision of Twitter was very niche and narrow and was not the one that the majority of the users have. Because Musk uses Twitter a lot and he interacts with a lot of people on Twitter. And sometimes he's a little reckless with the things that he says and that he does and the people that he's interacting with. And whenever you're not in that bubble, then it can be very easy to see that, oh, well, he just doesn't get the full picture. He doesn't understand why did the vast majority of people use Twitter? What value did it bring to their life? And how was Twitter able to monetize that value? The fact that he's now thinking about those who have the Twitter Blue subscription service, or for those who are paying for the Twitter Blue, they could start doing tweets up to 10,000 characters. Twitter started off at 120 characters, and then because they were forced to double all the way up to 240 characters, but nobody wants to read a 240 character tweet. Now you're talking about 10,000 characters? You're talking 15 pages worth of, of a Word document to yeah. get to 10,000 characters. That's why people will have the link and on, you know, link to an article that I wrote, link to something else. That's what Twitter is. It is an aggregation platform. And so if you want to click the link to that story, click the link to off to something else. Sure, that could be really interesting. But the person will have two or three sentences, you know, what is this? Why is it important? Capture my attention. 
and then let me decide and then I'll go hop out to what it is and then come back. That's what this was. Another feature that Musk is talking about adding is voice calls and video calls. Twitter is a text platform. It, maybe it's an image platform. It is not a video platform, and it's definitely not a video communication platform. This just reeks of someone trying to stuff everything into one box, not realizing what the box was. But he's also trying to do this with the skeleton crew. When you've downsized 83% of your company and you've got 1,300 people who were just trying to keep the lights on, you can't, you don't have the manpower. You don't have the, the the workforce hours to do the engineering that it would take to add these features and then keep them alive. And it just it's insane to hear somebody make those kinds of claims that we're going to add this and we're going to add that when you just laid off all the people who could have done that. The number of decisions that are being made that are either just obvious, bad and dumb, or bad and dumb. It's shocking. It truly is shocking. I just don't understand how do we get to this point in time. And I think there's probably things that we don't know because Jack Dorsey, the original founder and the previous CEO, has come out and started to criticize the sale of Twitter to Musk and started to criticize Musk as the new CEO of the company. When he came out and said, look, this guy, everything has just gone south when he bought it. When he has said, I don't think he acted right. I don't think he realized what he was buying. Uh, I don't think the board should have forced the sale. Basically saying it just went to hell in a handbasket. Well, he couldn't really jump out and trash the deal very easily without costing himself and all the Twitter investors a whole lot of money. So it's easier to say it now that the checks cleared the bank. Oh, yeah. That's that's part of why I'm a little... Jack Dorsey can say these things, and it might be right, but he doesn't get credit for it because he was the CEO at the time. He was a person who had a lot of leverage. He knew Elon Musk, and he didn't quite handpick Musk to take over, but definitely could have, at various different points in time, stopped this from happening if he wanted to stop it from happening. And so to look back with hindsight and say, oh, well, that should have never happened. Yeah, sure. Everyone else in the world is also saying that. But as you pointed out, Musk overpaid for it when he bought it. And so if Musk was offering too much money to turn down, then congratulations, Jack, you sold your soul. I'm happy for you. You cashed out, got a great paycheck, but understand you sold it. Like your credibility here is sitting in your bank account. Well, and it's not like he was doing it when he was doing very good when he was CEO. Remember, the board had replaced him as CEO and they brought in the guy to try and fix the, the company. And that's when Elon Musk didn't like the things that were changing, the way it was ha changing. And, and then the political scene got involved and in who's being kicked off or not being allowed to say things on Twitter. And so that's when Mr. Musk decided he's, well, I'm just going to go buy it and I'm going to make it free for all for everybody to come and, and do whatever you want. And I think the most damning thing to me about this is that Musk claimed it would be a bastion of free speech like nowhere else on the internet was. But 
numerous reports uh, saying that he has received a lot of complaints from second and third world countries about censoring content that those governments don't like, and he is complying with them. So whenever there are other parts of the world, other, maybe not full dictatorships or maybe not full authoritarian states, but states who border on that line are saying, hey, we don't want this on our platform. And Musk says, oh, yes, sir. And he removes it. Is it really a free speech bastion anymore? It's okay if it happens over there. Just don't don't let it happen in my backyard. Exactly. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission. And that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula, so proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4, and the show will rerun Sunday at 4. If you missed any part of our show, or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast, which is available on most every platform, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, Overcast, Player FM, and more. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.